Hey, welcome back to Sermon Notes. Michael here. I've got Garland alongside. What's up, Michael? Glad to be here. We've got Josh, our producer, and we're making our way through the book of Ruth. And so here we find ourselves in Ruth chapter four and Garland. Kind of catch us up in the story. What's happened to set up what's going to occur in Ruth 4? Well, uh, just remembering back, uh, they, we've had the fateful encounter at night at the threshing floor. And uh, we looked at that last week where Ruth is sent down by Naomi. Um, lots of cultural things to work through what's going on there. But uh, we get a marriage proposal, it seems, and an agreement. And uh, But Boaz, as the, as, the, as the one who wants to go and redeem Ruth, he has a realization. Uh, he, he already knows it, but he points it out at the end of chapter 3. Um, that there's one closer to you. And uh, he has the first right of refusal, we might say. And here in chapter four, they're going to go, we might say they need to go make legal this marriage. They want to do it right in the eyes of the law and in the eyes of the community. And they've got the little thorny issue of what about this other this other guy? And he needs to, he needs to pass on the opportunity first. And so uh, it's really, it's, it's, intriguing this little story in chapter four. Um, it's meant to be, you're kind of meant to read it and go, man, how'd that go down? That's kind of, that's kind of clever on Boaz's part, but essentially, uh, Boaz will publicly now redeem Ruth. And then the, the, this, at least this story we're doing chapter four, uh, one of 12 ends with the blessing of, of Ruth and Boaz. So it's a happy, kind of a happy ending to the story. We'll note how the story begins with emptiness on Naomi's part. And now we're working our way towards uh, this this f- full blessing that the in, the book will end on, as we'll look at next week. So that's kind of what happens in the story, but we got a lot to work through in this particular uh, passage. Yeah, starting with verse one, he went up to the gate and uh-huh. sat down there. What's the uh-huh. deal with that? What, why does he go to the gate? Uh, so in, in the ancient, these are ancient villages more than anything. And so in ancient Israel, uh, there's usually some kind of a gate that would mark out the lines of a town, village, or city. And that they kind of function like our, um, I was going to say like our barbershops do, where you go and have kind of discussions with the other people, but really more like how our courthouses would operate or more like our town squares would, where you will um, go and do official proceedings. And so people are coming in out of the gate and uh, for Boaz to go up to the gate and sit there and wait for the guardian redeemer, the other redeemer, um, that's very intentional on his part. It's a way to say, I need to do business with you and I want to make sure it's out here publicly. We're not kind of in a, we're not sitting in the back alley having this conversation. This is something we're going to do out in front of all the elders. So uh, that's kind of, that was an ancient practice. We've got a lot of ancient practices uh, to work through here. Yeah, so he flags him down. He says, turn aside, sit mm-hmm. down. And then what's going on with this whole Redeemer deal? Like what, what's he asking this family, extended family member to do? Well, this this is the really the one of the points of this podcast is um, to, to go into some of the detail that we don't get time to in a sermon. Now, we're going to have to hit some of it to make sense of this, but Ruth's one of those weird... Old Testament books that's way distanced from our culture, and uh, there's a lot to work through. So the the first thing is the NAS. What do you have there? ESV. I have the NIV. Uh, what yeah. do you get uh, in verse four when Boaz greets him? Come over here. What does it say in ESV? 
verse four. Verse, uh, sorry, verse chapter four, verse one. Verse Boaz one, said, yeah. "Come over here." Does it say friend? Friend? Mm-hmm. Yes. The NIV has friend as well. Let's see what the NASB has. NASB has turn aside friend. They all have the same thing. Um, that's a very kind translation, we might say. Literally, the the words that he uses are, it's a word play, and it literally means, uh, we might say, Mr. So-and-so, um, or I, I, I like to think of it as he who shall not be named. Um, the Boaz certainly knows who this person is. He knows the name, and our author's been really intentional with names throughout this book. All the names have meaning. One of the, the names get changed. Naomi changes their name. Yet here, the, the narrator is intentionally holding back the name, um, and the literal Hebrew is Mr. No Name or Mr. So-and-so, um, which is very intentional on the narrator's part. And the reason is, um, most scholars think the reason is uh, he wants to draw attention that this person is refusing to do the honorable thing. Uh, now, it's going to work out in the story because we we want him to refuse. We, we're cheering for Boaz and Ruth at this point. But you get this little side hint by the narrator that this Israelite did not do the thing that the Israelite was asked to do by the law, and therefore he will not be named. We're not even going to name him. And so a little shade thrown by the narrator that way. And then we have the whole issue here of what's going on with uh, what's called leveret marriage, these laws and customs about um, ancient land and how you redeem it or buy it back. And there's a couple places we have to go. So uh, the first is going to be um, Deuteronomy 25. So the one issue that we have is the expectations when uh, uh, an Israelite male passes away without uh, a male heir to continue their line. And in Deuteronomy 25, this is just something that it's, it's, it's different for us. We just have to uh, acknowledge you. That's not how we don't value land and family in the same way that ancient Israelites did. Um, and so we just have to kind of work through this. But uh, in Deuteronomy 25, um, there's, a, there's the issue of what takes place when uh, a male Israelite dies without somebody in his line. And what is expected it, in the ancient culture to die with no one to carry on your name was one of the great shames. That's why when... Like when an invading general or king uh, takes over from an established king, they often kill all their male heirs because it's a way of saying I'm wiping off your name from all of the all the future lines. I'm I'm erasing you. Um, It's a legit fear. It's a it's a strong fear that people in the ancient world lived with, and the same thing is true here. And God, as uh, as Moses is articulating the ancient Israelite customs, he says, we're not, your, your name will not be erased. Uh, we're going to make sure that the lines are always perpetuated and continued. And so the expectation was, this is weird to us, modern people. Um, if a, if a, if a man dies, his wife, uh, would be expected to marry somebody in their family to continue that line. Um, we need to see some of the beauty in this. So, uh, we hear that that sounds, that sounds kind of weird. It sounds like uh, women are property or women just get passed on. I don't know how it sounds to you. That's how I know I read that and go, that's just odd. Um, in the ancient world, um, you survive by what you can grow or what you can kill largely. Uh, there's always threat of invasion, always threat of enemy or, uh, or other tribes coming in. And so a widow to be without a, a, a person to take care of her is a great fear. It's why the Old Testament and the New Testament make such a big deal about caring for widows. And so, yes, there is this 
idea of establishing the line, continuing the line so that the honor of that line will continue. But there's also the reality, the reality of, uh, a bunch of vulnerable widows that are uh, not being taken care of. And so I think there's a dual idea here in this Deuteronomy account and uh, the protection and preservation of that widow by the family is something that, that the law takes really seriously. And uh, in that there's some, there's something kind of beautiful in that, that uh, you're not going to go hopeless, starving, uh, always vulnerable to, to threat. No, you'll be taken care of. And, uh, what that expectation of who that man would be that would take that wife uh, or take that widow would be. They're called a goel or a redeemer. And that's what we have here in this Ruth account. So the first thing we have to work through is what's called leveret marriage. Uh, And there it is in Deuteronomy 25. And the same thing here is in Ruth chapter four. Um, But when Boaz says, Hey, on the day you buy the land, you also acquire Ruth. Uh, And so he's, Certainly, meaning Deuteronomy 25, the language w- reads very similarly. So that's the first thing we have to work through. Anything to add or well, yeah, <laughs> go just, on to there? I mean, I was thinking as you were saying that. So in chapters 2 and 3, we saw how also in God's law, there's this provision for gleaning in the fields. And so we talked about how that was in God's plan and care for his people an ancient social safety net that we're not mm-hmm. going to let the orphan and widow starve we're going to specifically say this is left for them. The corners of the fields, the things that are dropped, the things that you don't pick up. Um, don't don't just clean the field, pick it bare. Um, leave some things for the people that need a little help. And it's just interesting to me as you're talking in chapter four, we see the fullest expression of that, that she won't just have this barely hanging on existence, but she could have fullness of family and land restored. Mm -hmm. And it seems like the Lord takes great care in the law to keep people from losing their land or to keep families from not having something to pass down so that a generation is just born into poverty. Mm -hmm. And if you think about it, even as the story unfolds, we have uh, empty Naomi and empty Ruth coming back into Israel and what do they come back to? They're doing what you're talking about. They're picking the scraps and that's what we're seeing in two and three. And then we get this amazing picture of Boaz's generosity saying, leave that for them. Make sure leave a little extra for them. But uh, we're going to see them move from totally empty to very poor, getting just the scraps on the corners of the fields to fully taken care of and redeemed. That's one of the points of the book of Ruth. Um, yes, there's some cultural stuff we got to kind of work through, but there's a lot of beauty in that. And uh, we, I, I hope that we can see it as we, uh, as we read this. Now, the other one is, what about land? Um, so for those of you listening to this, that's why you're uh, tuning into sermon notes is to get these added little nuggets to, to see the law on this. You got to go to Leviticus 25. So Deuteronomy 25 is the leveret marriage, the land, um, the rights to the land, we might say are in, uh, Leviticus 25. And here's the, the big idea is when somebody is either dies or becomes, uh, in a dire strait in poverty and they need to sell their land, uh, that land belongs to certain tribes and their families. They take that really seriously. We see that all throughout the the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, don't move tribal boundaries and don't take somebody else's uh, land. When somebody has to sell the land, um, the idea was, and you can read about this, it's many, many verses in Leviticus 25, that the, uh, the nearest relative would come and buy it and take care of it for his relative, uh, either one that had passed away or became too impoverished. Um, that keeps the land, we might say, in that family. 
in Elimelech's case, uh, this is this, that's uh, Naomi's husband. He's had to sell it, so it's it's moved outside the family. So when he comes back into Israel, um, not only does it not he doesn't have the land, but he didn't have the rights to work that land, which would be what would take care of Naomi, and now Ruth. And so they need a redeemer. Somebody needs to buy that land. And what we see is he who shall not be named. He's all for getting that land as long as it looks like it's going to make him some cash. So he goes, man, if I get the rights to work the land, then I get the surplus of that. And my kids get the surplus of that. And Boaz kind of cleverly fools him. Hey, somebody's got to get this land. And Mr. So-and-so uh, goes, oh, I'm all over that. But you also need to do your responsibility in taking Ruth. He goes, yeah, that's going to cost me. And it's going to cost my descendants. So he backs out. Um, that's why he's Mr. He should not be named. He backs out. And I think we're supposed to see him as a bad guy here in chapter four. And then so Boaz goes in and makes the claim. I will work this land. And then that what that means is all of its surplus now gets to go to the family of Naomi and now Ruth. And so it's a really cool picture in Leviticus 25 of God. Uh, we're not going to have um, the wealthy and the poor in God's uh, in God's people here in Israel. You're going to have an equity with the land. And that's really unheard of in the ancient, and we might say in the modern world, right. where uh, you, you kind of the survival of the fittest and our, we win, you lose, we get it. This is very egalitarian, we might say, mm-hmm. in the ancient Israelite culture, so much so that even if the land were to stay outside your family, eventually at the Jubilee year, the 50th year, whoever owns it has to give it back. Yeah. And so um, in a world now, as we as we see um, fighting for justice and equality and these kinds of ideas, we can see it's kind of an ancient Israelite idea already tucked away in these strange chapters of Leviticus and Deuteronomy. Yeah. Uh, and so I'm trying to help us see some of the the beauty in this and not just the the what's going on here in this. That's all that's kind of wrapped up in the first part of Ruth chapter four, these two ancient customs that we have to get our minds around, not to mention the sandal, yeah. which is probably like a uh, what we would consider a handshake or a contract. And you can see that there uh, in Ruth four as well. They take off the sandal. So that kind of helps us, I hope, get our arms around it. And then it took all of 12 minutes. And a lot of that we will have to summarize real quickly in uh, the Sunday morning service. So that's why you come to Sermon Notes to get some of this extra stuff, hopefully. You know, one of the things that really stood out to me when I reviewed Leviticus 25 was verse 23, which is the beginning of the property section in the ESV. It says, the land shall be not shall not be sold in perpetuity for the land is mine. Right. Man, what a reminder for us. Um, the land belongs to the Lord. It all belongs to the Lord. So whenever we think that's mine, I earned it, I should keep it, mm-hmm. I can do what I want with it. Um, man, we should hear that reminder in the back of our head. Uh, no, it really all belongs to the Lord. He's just letting mm-hmm. us take care of it for a while. And Israel was to model this, but we're going to see as we read the whole of the Old Testament, they really struggle to do what God has asked. So Jesus will come along and embody this to a fullness, we might say. And then it's no wonder that when we get to the New Testament time, we get in Acts 2 and it says, well, the, the, the people came together and they shared everything they had as anyone had need. It's an ancient Israelite idea now being carried out in the Jesus followers in the church. And so it's just really, it's really cool to see the continuity there. Uh, so I'm trying to think, I'm not even going to touch really in the sermon, uh, the blessing that the people uh, give uh, Boaz and Ruth. Um, there's references to other 
Israelite uh, characters who have come before who have had similar stories. And so that the, the blessing is, may you be like so-and-so. And one of them is another story very similarly, the story of Judah and Tamar uh, from back in Genesis. And so you can go look at those stories and, uh, and see that there's a reason they use them as the blessing. And what's interesting is uh, Tamar from that story in Genesis and Ruth, these are two of the women that we're going to see in the genealogy of Jesus as Matthew chapter one uncovers it for us. And so uh, just, we read Matthew one and it's making very uh, interesting points that sometimes go over our head. But uh, here we have a a Moabite woman in the, what will be in Jesus's genealogy in Matthew chapter one, uh, a desperate, uh, hopeless Moabite woman who's now been redeemed. Well, that's, it's a pretty cool picture of, I think, what we're going to see. Well, you're going to do that next week, so we're not going to steal all that thunder <laughs> here. Um, anything I'm missing? Anything else we want to talk about here, Michael? Man, um, yeah, I'd love to just, for a moment, talk about um, verse 10. Um, he says, Perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. Mm-hmm. What, what do you think is the significance of the place of Bethlehem, of the house of bread in this larger story. I thought you were covering that next week. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, well, it, in the ancient Israelite mindset, uh, your land is significant, as you said earlier, because God gave them that land. And we're going to see that this relatively insignificant, small little village, house of bread, Bethlehem, um, we're going to see some very fascinating things occur there. Uh, and so as this blessing goes out, um, they're understanding this um, as all the stuff we've been talking about. God, God is seeing fit to preserve the line of Elimelech. And there's this question as we, as we look at all of Ruth, uh, and it starts at the very first verse, the very first few verses when Elimelech dies is, what happens to his line? An ancient reader's going, but what about Elimelech? What about, what about his descendants? What about his line? And we end the book with them going, God has taken care of the line of Elimelech. And so he's a forgotten figure in the book of Ruth, but actually a lot of the story is unfolding to preserve Elimelech's line, which next week we're going to look at what becomes of the line of Elimelech. And so um, an ancient Israelite reader would read that a verse like that and go, wow, God took care of Elimelech. But we forgot about him, you know, three chapters ago because we we're not thinking about him. We're thinking about the love story of Ruth and Boaz. Um, but they would be cued into that, an yeah. ancient reader. So, and we will be after next week. So yeah. uh, that's good. Well, I'm looking forward to it. So we'll be back here next week and we'll finish out the book of Ruth. And I hope you'll join us then on Sermon Notes. Sermon Notes.